scripture reading this evening comes from Psalm 103. It's on page 939 of the Bibles in the pews. Page 939. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I'm really excited. David writes, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. I didn't pray. I'm going to pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for this beautiful word that you inspired through your Holy Spirit, through King David. Lord, we thank you for the meaning that these words hold for us, that you love us as a father loves his children, that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins from us. And we praise you, O Lord. We praise you in our soul. We praise you with our mouths. We praise you with our words. And we pray now, as we meditate on these words, that you would send us your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, to fill our souls, to make us overflow with joy, with praise, with blessing, with thanks, so that we may worship you truly. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So 
Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, our text today, Psalm 103, is one of those psalms that's held in high esteem in the Reformed tradition. tradition. And you can see that it's held in high esteem from uh, the index in the back of the Psalter hymnal. The Psalter hymnal has a scripture index, which is very helpful for us when we're planning services. But if you look in the back, in the index, in the scripture index of the Psalter hymnal, and you look up Psalm 103, there's, and it doesn't even count the number 103 in here, which is another version of Psalm 103. So including that one, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different songs in this book that are based on Psalm 103. And for hundreds of years in the Reformed tradition, this psalm has been a traditional response to the celebration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the time when we come together as the body of Christ to break bread and to share a cup of wine or juice, and we hear the words of Christ to his disciples saying, this is my body and this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And we eat the bread and we drink the wine and we sing songs of praise and we pray a prayer of thanksgiving. And in our tradition, at least historically, and it's in one of the forms in the back of the Psalter hymnal, we sing or recite together the words of Psalm 103, these words of blessing and forgiveness, these words that remind us of God's fatherly compassion and love. These words of Psalm 103 remind us that even though we grow old and die like the grass of the field, the covenant promises of God are from everlasting to everlasting. And his love is with us and with our children and with our children's children. And so we join together with all the saints and angels and all creation. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I think that Psalm 103 is an appropriate text for us to explore the themes of the Lord's Supper. Because Psalm 103 is sort of like an entire worship service packaged together neatly in this little poem. The psalm begins with a call to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, a, a call for us to come and to worship God. And then what follows is a recounting of the benefits of the Lord, of what our God has accomplished on our behalf. And primary among these is the forgiveness of sin. The Lord gives us the law so that we know how it is that we ought to live. And he assures us that as far as the heavens are from the earth, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He loves us like a father loves his children. And even though we are dust, mortal, limited, the love and the covenant promises of our God last forever, even to our children and our children's children. And then this little worship service in Psalm 103 closes with this beautiful triumphant doxology which calls on the angels and the heavenly hosts and all of creation to join us in praising the Lord, ending finally with the simple refrain, praise the Lord, O my soul. And before we explore the themes of this psalm, I want to start off with a question. 
And it might seem like a silly question, but it's a question that was raised in the readings that I was doing in preparation for the service. And the question is, why do we celebrate the sacraments? Pouring water over new members of our community, sharing bread and wine together and calling it the body and blood of Christ, these are strange rituals. And they require a lot of explanation. And you can see from the forms in the back of the Psalter hymnal that we use to celebrate these sacraments that they're, they're not exactly what we would call self-explanatory. There are complicated teachings that go along with these rituals. And sometimes it seems like the teachings do more to confuse than they do to illuminate. To our rational, logical society that loves clarity and efficiency, these primitive rituals of water and bread and wine seem a bit backwards, a bit old-fashioned, you might say. We don't always know exactly what to do with them or how to think about them. And maybe you'll answer the question of why do we celebrate the Lord's sac the, the, the sacraments? Why do we celebrate the sacraments? Maybe you'll answer that question by saying, well, Jesus commands us to celebrate the sacraments. And that's certainly true, but the obvious follow-up question then is, why? Why does Jesus command these things? And there are plenty of things in the Bible that we're commanded to do that we've found better ways of doing. To, to, to practice the principle of the thing without uh, resorting to the trappings of an older society, like Paul's instructions about how women should dress when they prophesy and pray in the assembled congregation. We certainly agree that this is from 1 Corinthians 11. We, we certainly agree nowadays that men and women ought to dress appropriately when they lead in worship, but that doesn't mean that women have to wear doilies on their heads. Or what about Jesus' words to his disciples in John 13? After Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he says, Now that I have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do what I have done. But we don't wash each other's feet. We practice the principle of the thing, that we serve one another in love and in humility. Foot washing, head coverings, these are things that we understand to be culturally bound. They, they wouldn't make sense in our society. And so we find ways of practicing these things that, that keeps the principle of the thing, the spiritual principle, rather than aping the cultural practices of ancient societies. And I wonder whether it sometimes seems that way with the sacraments. Why do we need to wash someone with water to demonstrate the spiritual principle that the blood of Jesus washes away their sins? Why do we need to eat little cubes of bread and drink little shot glasses of grape juice to show that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus sustains our spiritual lives the way that food and drink sustain our physical lives? Bread and wine aren't even staple foods of our diet anymore. Isn't there a way for us to practice the spiritual principles of the sacraments without resorting to these primitive customs of ceremonial washing and feasting? Other people in history have certainly thought that this was a possibility. 
uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson was an uh, American philosopher who lived in the early 1800s, and he was also a pastor of the Unitarian Church. And in 1832, he asked the officers of his church to do away with the sacraments, particularly the Lord's Supper, which he said was a primitive Eastern superstition, foreign and unsuited to enlightened Western peoples. He argued that because we Westerners are more used to expressing ourselves through logic and reason, the symbolic physical elements of the sacraments had lost their intended effect. Civilized people, Emerson argued, are not so much moved by physical symbols as they are by sound argumentation and clear teaching. People who are capable of thinking spiritual thoughts and understanding spiritual truths can worship with their minds and their hearts and their souls without any help from physical water or bread or wine. After all, didn't Jesus say, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth? Now, the the officers of Emerson's Unitarian Church rejected his proposal to do away with the sacraments, and it led to him resigning as a pastor. But I think that Emerson's critique of the sacraments kind of hits a nerve with us. We do have a difficult time seeing how these primitive rituals can enhance our faith. We do have a difficult time understanding how it is that God can work through these physical symbols of water, of bread, of wine. It's much easier for us to think of singing and of preaching as worshipful things. Singing and and reading and listening and praying, these are all more spiritual things than washing and eating We can't touch a sound or see a note or taste a harmony or eat a sentence. These physical things all around us we tend to think of as distractions from the spiritual world. And so we close our eyes when we pray. Some people close their eyes during the sermon. None of you are. You all have your eyes open. But we close our eyes. Why? Because we don't want to be distracted by the physical world. We fold our hands so that we can't touch things. We send our children off to Sunday school so that we can focus on spiritual things without the distractions of little ones making noises and being distracting. We do all of these things to allow our minds to focus on spiritual things. And the sacraments challenge that notion, big time. In the sacraments, we are forced to look, to touch, to taste, to smell, to feel. In the sacraments, we are forced to interact with the physical world and call it spiritual. And it seems so silly sometimes to say that this bread is the body of Christ, to say that this cup is the new covenant in Christ. To say that the water of baptism is the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. And so we hedge it. We downplay it. 
No, we say, it's not, it's not really the body and the blood of Christ. It's just a symbol. It's not really, the, the water of baptism doesn't really wash away our sins. It's just a symbol. It's just a symbol. It's not real? The way that this isn't real? The Canadian flag is just a symbol, but we're still filled with pride when we see it waving above a gold medalist at the Olympics. A photograph of our family is just a symbol, but we're still filled with love and warmth when we look at it. So when we say that this table, or that this font, are just symbols, that this is just a symbol, that doesn't mean they don't have meaning. That doesn't mean that they aren't real. That doesn't mean that God can't work through them. And this is the truth that we see in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But for what? Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The psalmist calls on us to remember the mighty deeds of God, the wonders that he has worked on the earth, the benefits that he gives us, the ways that God has worked in and through the physical world to answer our fallen condition. He forgives your sins. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from death. He crowns you with love and mercy. He satisfies your needs. He renews your youth. Like the eagle, he works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. And how does he do these things? In verse 19, the psalmist tells us, The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Now it might be easy for us to say that for David, this would have been a spiritual reality. I mean... God certainly worked through history for the people of Israel. He certainly worked through the physical world and the parting of the Red Sea and the granting of manna in the desert. But the kingdom of God for David would have been a spiritual reality. The God who created the heavens and the earth rules over all things from the spiritual realm, from heaven. But for us, who live under the new covenant, we know that the one who sits on the throne of heaven is physical. That he is a bodily human being. That he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. In the Gospels, we learn the story of how God became incarnate. How the Son of God became a human being, conceived and born of a woman, Mary. We learn the story of how the spiritual became physical. And this is the reality that the sacraments force us to come to terms with, that the God that we worship, the God who created the heavens and the earth, works through the physical world that he has created in and through physical things. The Messiah of God has come to us in the person of Jesus, and he was and is a physical man who was born, lived, suffered, and died, and was raised again, and rules now from heaven as a physical 
bodily human man. He washes away our sins by his poured out blood and he nourishes us with his body and blood. He feeds us and refreshes us through the Holy Spirit the way that our bodies are refreshed by a nice glass of wine. And he does this through physical things. The Belgic Confession, which we're going to read later tonight, one of our summaries of biblical teaching in the Christian Reformed Church, when it's talking about the sacraments, tells us that we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body and what is drunk is his own blood. But the manner in which we eat it is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. This banquet that we come together to enjoy, this physical meal, is a spiritual meal. Physical reality and spiritual reality come together here the way that heaven and earth come together in the person of Jesus Christ. This physical bread, this physical juice, are spiritual things. Through these physical things, Christ spiritually gives himself to us, together with all his benefits. He forgives our sins, he heals our diseases, he redeems our life from death, he crowns us with love and mercy, he satisfies us with good things, he renews our youth, he establishes his covenant with us as an everlasting covenant that is for us and for our children and for our children's children. He establishes his throne in our hearts. He establishes his kingdom among us so that his will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our response to this, Psalm 103, is a response of praise. The Hebrew word here in Psalm 103 is the word barak, which is a different word than what we normally associate with praise. Many psalms begin with the Hebrew word hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. Pretty straightforward. But the word barak has a wider meaning. Barak is the Hebrew word for blessing. It's the Hebrew word for praise. It's the Hebrew word for thanksgiving. When God blesses his people in the Old Testament, that's barak. When God's people give thanks for the things that God has done for them, that's Barak. When God's people praise him in the Old Testament, that's also Barak. Barak is blessing and praise and thanksgiving all in one. And so that's why we see different translations of this psalm in different Bibles. That it's praise the Lord, O my soul, or bless the Lord, O my soul, or thank the Lord, O my soul. Because that's the wideness of this Hebrew word. In response to God's gracious gift of Christ for us, we give thanks, we, we bless his name, we praise him. But we don't do this alone. Because God doesn't work on us alone. Psalm 103 begins with the praise of an individual. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But as we work our way through this psalm, we see that this is not a lone voice crying out in the wilderness. The song of our praise the voice of thanksgiving joins together with the covenant community of God's people. It joins together with the angels and the heavenly beings and all of creation so that our voice, the blessing of our soul, the thanksgiving of our lives join together with a 
bigger, louder, cosmic choir of all things, visible and invisible, physical and spiritual, earthly and heavenly, in proclaiming the wonders of what it is that God has done for us. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Bless the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all of his creation, everywhere in his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, O Lord, our God and our King, we thank you and we praise you. We bless your holy name, for you are great and greatly to be praised. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us through these physical gifts of bread and wine. And Lord, we pray that as we come together to this table now, that you would move in our hearts, that you would give us your Holy Spirit so that we can see how truly you are among us, how really you are among us. All of this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>